Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Good morning, everybody. How are you? All right. Hyped up. You can have a seat. Lights on. Hello. Super proud of you guys. You made it through a massive storm here in Southern California. I know people are praying and worried about could they get to church with a little bit of rain. You did a great job. Um, Hey, heads up. I was on vacation this last week, had a great time, but I forgot to email connection groups that were back this week. So we do start this week, April and May, eight weeks together, discussing the sermon, praying together, uh, just doing life together. It's a great way to just to feel supported, gain friendships. But most of all, these groups are about really growing in your faith. And so we don't just talk about each other or to each other, but we talk uh, to God about God and really growing in our faith. So whether you're not someone you're like, you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian, these are great groups because it gets your brain thinking, or you've been a Christian for 30 years and you're already like, I'm ready to go to heaven. All right, hold on, join a group, and then you can be in that too. So uh, something for everybody. If you want to sign up, you can just let me know. Shoot me a text, uh, email. It's on the um, little uh, brochures that we have. Uh, and then also, uh, you can go online and you can sign up, but we do start this week. So looking forward to that Wednesday and Thursday night options here in Murrieta. So with that said, uh, we just got back last night. We did a little one day trip to, uh, Rosarito, Mexico. So yeah, I had a great time. So we have some, we got to do a little, a little, uh, something, something back here because, uh, we're going to show you some pictures, what it looks like. Let me see if I can get this right. So, Andrew, is that, woo, do we have pictures, do we have pictures or no, hey, can you guys see this, can you go lights off, all right, so, just so you guys know, um, whether you know it or not, if you gave to the church, we gave 10 grand, uh, so they can uh, help finish this women's uh, shelter, so if you were against that, too bad, we outvoted you, we're for it. So, um, and our goal is to give another 10 grand this year. So, and if you're like, wait a second, you didn't tell us, I already told them, so now we have, it. We have the pressure on us. So that's where we're at. So um, they've done one floor. Um, right now we paid the first 10 grand. I thought it was gonna be for the second floor and they said, no, we have to actually pay our contractors. So they would like to be paid. And so we're helping to pay for the contractors materials. The second 10 grand, we're hoping the second story, and then it's gonna be three stories. Uh, this is gonna be offices uh, down here, and then the women will be in the level two, level three. It makes it a little safer for them. And that's right by, the next picture, that's right by the orphanage. Uh, and so that's a picture um, of, it's a beautiful, beautiful area in Rosarito. And so you see this is the playground down here. You'll see people running around. We did an Easter egg hunt. Thank you. So last Sunday, did you guys enjoy just having kind of a service Sunday where we put baskets together? And so uh, thank you, Ephraim. Did a little devotion, just getting us kind of focused for the morning. And so all the baskets you made, uh, the Bibles, all that kind of stuff, we gave it to them and they were ecstatic and just uh, very thankful. And so we put eggs all over the place and they just were running around uh, doing that. And so, yeah, so that's just so you can kind of get a, a, a feel and a vibe. Uh, if you want to go next time, we're going to be heading down, I think, in June again. And um, we're going to continue just to, they love it when we're down there. Uh, we brought lasagna. And by the way, some people are like, why lasagna? They don't want lasagna. No, actually, they requested it because every missions group that comes down there, what do you think they make? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they're, they're doing the same. They're like, we know, we're Mexican. We know, we don't want to eat Mexican food. We want something else. And so uh, we're like, what do you guys want us to eat? Do you want us to bring down the traditional Mexican? They're like, no, we can get that anytime. So their next request is cheeseburgers. So we're going to grill some cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh, now you guys are excited about going on a missions trip. Like, I'll go on that trip. Um, we're going to bring some cheeseburgers. And they, they, they love it. And so uh, if you went, um, can you raise your hand just so people can kind of see who went? Thank you for the team that went. Yep, thank you, guys. Had a great time. Uh, when we go next time, just so you know, um, if we have a big enough group, we'll offer two options. You can go to the children's uh, campus in Rosarito, and that's really if you like playing games and just being with kind of like fifth grade and under, you like that age, it's just really playing games, eating with them, getting to know the leaders. They're encouraged because they're there 24-7. Uh, and so, um, so that's an option for you. Some of us want to go to the teen campus, which is in Tijuana. And uh, especially if you have a skill to teach them anything, painting. Um, Carrie, your wife, Jeremiah, had a great idea of making bracelets. Uh, I'm going to teach them um, some more jujitsu. But they love learning things, and it's a great way to connect with the teens. So those are some options for you. Um, and so uh, we'll have signups in the next month or so. One of the things I asked them is like, listen, what else do you guys need? Because we're there for them. This is not about us like what what can we do to partner with you guys they've had a huge influx of new kids that they need sponsorship for and so uh what they do is they fully feed them tell them about jesus educate them just make sure they're loved on is the main thing so a lot of these kids um they're either abandoned uh and there's no support system in mexico as far as what we have here um and then some of them their parents just can't um really afford to take care of them so mom's working two three jobs so they actually stay there and mom can still visit. So not all of them are, you know, orphans or abandoned and things like that. But they are really just a, a beacon of love and hope. And so um, they're there 24-7. Uh, they have the moms, they call them the moms and the dads. And they have the people then that are administrators that kind of run it. Uh, just great people if you get a chance to meet them. But they're in need of child support or child scholarships right now, about $50 a month. And so if that's something that um, you want to pray about, think about, and be generous towards, they could definitely use it right now. They got about five or six kids. And so let me know if you're interested, just write on your card, communication card, you can email me, um, and then uh, we'll talk more about that. So that's that, cool? All right, so that's kind of what's been going on, uh, what's happening uh, and uh, here at church. And so uh, right now what we're gonna do is before we kind of jump in, we got a new series in Luke that we're gonna be uh, starting. If you have your Bibles with you or on your phone, I encourage you to open them up to Luke. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. So if you want to turn there, Luke 15. And by the way, every week, um, I want to thank uh, Katrina here. Katrina, can you raise your hand? There's Katrina right there. We don't even know what we're clapping for. But every week, she makes sure that we have the, um, they're not brochures. Why am I blanking on the name? Programs. She makes the programs, just so you know, you guys, folds them, make sure they're good to go. Uh, we started the new series, so we had to do all new ones. So thank you, Katrina, just for doing that every week. Uh, so we have those programs on there. Again, you can take notes. And then also you can see if you need to contact anyone at church, all the contact information is on there. We're starting in Luke 15 today. And I know some of you are like, wait, if we're starting the whole series, why are we starting in Luke 15? Because I wanted to kind of uh, 
talk about the heart of Luke first before we kind of start going through. Also, Easter is only a few weeks away, so I don't want to start the new series on the birth of Jesus, like, but what about the death and resurrection? So we're going to kind of start at the end of Luke and reverse engineer and go backwards. So that's kind of the flow over the next few months for us. Let me pray, and then let's rock and roll. Jesus, uh, thank you so much uh, for being a God who reveals himself. The things that were brought up today, you're not a God that hides, but we also have to recognize that you're a God that it's going to take eternity for us to get to know. There's a complexity about you. There's a gravity about you that we, we can't be flippant with. We can't just act like, well, God is whoever I think he is. That's baloney. You are who you say you are. And our job is to get to know you and to honor you and to figure out how to interact with you. So I pray that Luke would do that as a series. I pray for every person here that they would not think that life is about sports, money, looks, cars, careers, when every person except one in the history of our world has died and has not risen again on their own. So may we live with purpose, with hope, and with eternity in mind. In your name, Jesus, amen. So we're going to go into Luke, and, and Luke, we just came out of the book of Acts. We studied that for a few months. That was written by Luke also. And so probably about the same time, he wrote Luke first, and then he wrote the book of Acts. When we went through Acts, you'll notice that the language changed. Sometimes he wrote about them and what they did, and then all of a sudden it changed in Luke about, or Acts about halfway through, and he says, we? Well, Luke was, um, just so you know, as far as we know, the only Gentile writer in the Bible. There's only one. He made it. And he was a guy who was a doctor, so he was educated, uh, and, uh, but he was also uh, someone that was very detail-oriented back then. And so uh, he wrote to Theophilus, which you read in Luke 1, and we don't know if he was a, a friend or someone that hired him maybe, uh, because the way that he greets him, this is, Theophilus is someone that has some power, but he did an investigation. And the reason I like Luke is if any of us are skeptical, which I was skeptical about Christianity, because especially when I went to college, it's all these world religions, and over and over when I was in colleges, they're all the same, they're all the same, they're all the same. But yet Luke was sent to investigate, saying, are they really the same? And is it a hoax? Is Jesus just some made-up character, just like all mythology in world history about different gods? And the conclusion that this guy did over years and years and years and years of investigation, and he, was, and he wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus. He wasn't a friend. Oh, it's like, well, he was a friend. He knew Jesus, knew nothing. He just talked to people and investigated, is this true or not? And he had to report back to Theophilus. And you got to remember this. False reports back then of someone in power was not good. If this guy had legal power, the office could be put in prison or be killed. If he had any kind of relational power, he could lose his job or income. So this guy's not just writing just like, oh, I'm just gonna, I need to get my facts straight. So just so you know, that's what you're reading in the book of Luke is someone that is like, is this true? And has done investigation and heard the stories and really tried to put it uh, together. Uh, Luke, um, his focus, as we read through Acts, and the reason why this series is called God for All, is more than any other gospel or biography of Jesus, is we really see the diversity of people that Jesus interacted with and pursued. Because remember, Luke is breaking, or, or Jesus, when he comes, he's not just coming to prove there's a God, he's trying to reveal who God is. Let me say that again. Sometimes on our journey, we get stuck on, is God real or not real? And that's only the first part as far as eight. 
Are, are you really following someone that's real, that's alive just like we're alive and conscious just like we're conscious? The next step, what many people don't get to is, who is he and how do I interact with him? And that's one of the things that Jesus revealed as the son of God is that who is this God? And Luke really reveals that and shows characteristics and qualities of God that many times we don't think about. Uh, Luke focused on, on the interaction with women, which was kind of taboo in religion and world history. It was mainly men that got the priority with God. And notice if you read any of the gospels, who's the first person to really hear about Jesus coming? Teenage girl. That should tell you a lot about God. Oh, he only shows up to the educated. Oh, if, if you want to say what the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart, you have to go to theology school. You have to be, a, really? Is that God only reveals himself to super educated? Do we see that in the Bible? Or did Jesus go, no, I'm going after the humble. Those that think they're not great. And we see that over and over in Luke. The arrogant miss God. The humble get him. Uh, Jesus began to interact with people that were outcasts. They had disease, they didn't have the right look, and so they're kind of outcast. Jesus doesn't love you, and Jesus went straight to them. So that's kind of the, the, the theme that we see over and over in Luke. And also the last 10 chapters of Luke focus on the last um, uh, 10 days of Jesus' life. So there's a lot of focus on the last week in his death and his resurrection. So that's kind of the overall theme of Luke. But the main thing we're focused on is a God for all. A God for all. And the pinnacle of this is in Luke 15, if you're there. The whole chapter focuses on really this, this sense, of, um, and, and, and this, these stories were shared probably the last week of Jesus' life. So he's really trying to, like when you're about to die, if even if you've been near death or anything like that, like your conversations aren't about like how good food was or you know, where you're going for vacation. They're a little deeper when you bring in your kids or your grandkids. I remember the last uh, couple weeks of my mom's life, we weren't talking about you know, what the latest show was. What happened at the Oscars? Could care less, I'm about to die. We're talking about deeper things. Jesus is about to talk about deeper things because like, I'm about to go. And so he, one of the deeper things he talks about is really the, the, a characteristic and a quality of God that sometimes we, we miss. Um, in Luke 15, the first thing is he talks about the lost sheep, the story about the lost sheep. He's trying to illustrate the heart of God. And this is the popular one, right? We sing about it where the 99 sheep are there, one leaves. What does the shepherd do? Does he stay with the 99 being like, oh, good luck? Or I got 99, if I lose one, no big deal. Right? Am I just a number to God? Does God care if I'm hurting, if I'm lost, if I'm frustrated, if I'm disconnected? And he says, hey, I'm the kind of shepherd, I don't want to lose one. And I'll go pursue that one. I'll leave the 99. It tells you something about God. Uh, the next one, and you can read this on your own. I'm not going to go into these stories because we're going to focus on on um, the lost son, but another one was lost coin. And it talked about that there was 10 coins, but one was lost, right? And so what would the woman in the house do if she lost one of her coins? And it talks about how the woman would sweep and look and, and be intense pursuing that one coin. What's one coin? What's one dollar? I lost a dollar, no big deal. I know some of you, you're a penny pincher. You're like, no, I'd be, I'd be sweating it. I know, but most of us wouldn't be, right? I, um, Jesus would. That tells about your value. You're one of eight billion people, but Jesus knows you by name. He created you, gave you personality. In your day, when it goes up and when it goes down, and when you feel alone, it matters to him. So you have intense value. 
and we're going to focus on what's called the prodigal son normally, uh, the lost son. We're going to focus on that because that tells us a lot about Jesus too. And we're going to talk about today a characteristic or quality of God I think we miss. And if you miss this, you might miss out on really wanting to walk with Jesus every day. If you don't, if you don't understand this quality of God, I, I think you'll miss out on a really vibrant, fun, trusting relationship with God that he wants to have with you. Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 11. So Jesus is telling these stories, trying to help people understand who God is. I want you to understand who God is. Let me tell stories. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So obviously he was a rich man. And so he divided his property between them. Uh, Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So rather than waiting, which he, he should have done, and by the way, back then, the younger son would never get their inheritance before the older one. I want to take this even further. A younger son wouldn't even demand that because actually if the father passed away, you know who would get it all? Jesus doesn't just explain who he is in the Bible, you guys. He explains the condition of our hearts. If you want to understand human beings, if you want to understand sociology, read the Bible because God fully explains us. The arrogance it takes to look at the father who earned it, younger son didn't, that father built it, sacrificed for it, tilled the land, did everything for that younger son even to have an inheritance. The arrogance to say, I want it now. Now, if we have a warped view of God at that point, he beats the son, he argues with the son, tells the son, you ain't getting a penny, how dare you, is that what happens in the story? But some of our perceptions of God is that's who God is. He's really looking to hammer me. He's really looking to nitpick. He's really looking to to show me how bad I am and to bring that out. Do we see that in the Bible? One of the things we got to understand about God is that he will give us the freedom to really mess up our lives. He'll give you the freedom. And, And someone brought up he's a God of rules. He's a God of rules as far as like, hey, these rules will help you in life. But he's also a God that says, if you want to break them, I'll let you do it. Which, by the way, for some of us as parents, there's maybe some good parenting where our goal, the end goal of parenting is we want to control their lives rather than giving control to them to learn how to live life. Because God doesn't do that. Mistakes can actually shape you and humble you and draw you into God, and some of us want our kids never to mess up, and you wonder why they don't know God. Because their theory is, if I mess up, God won't love me. So we learn a lot about God, we learn a lot about people, right, in this story. And so the father could have done a lot of things differently, but he said, you want it, even though you don't deserve it, and even though you're arrogant, I'm going to give it to you. And his son squandered it all, which I don't think surprised the dad. Because when someone's arrogant, they usually squander things in life. But the father let this play out. And he said, after he had spent everything, verse 14, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. You ever been there? God, I want to do it my way. I want to live life my way. I want to do money my way. I want to do marriage my way, sex my way, 
I want to do just life my way. And God's like, yeah. And you're like, ooh, this is working out. Have you ever been there? Or you've seen people, you're like, hey, this isn't that bad. I got plenty of money. I'm doing pretty good. That whole Bible thing, do I really? Life's going well. And God's like, uh, don't worry, famine's coming. And that's when you really see you need God. You're not totally in control, right? And so he gets to this place where he's in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who had sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Anyone see the irony in that? Jews were supposed to stay away from pigs. They were dirty. What, so what the story is illustrating is he hit the bottom of life. He was feeding the very animals that God said stay away from and that he grew up culturally. You don't really, you don't really interact with it. You don't really eat and like that. And now he is a servant of the pigs. Jesus is trying to show an illustration here. He hit rock bottom. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he stood a long way off, his father saw him and turned his back on him. Is that what your Bible says? No. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and began to yell at him. Is that, is that what your Bible says? His father saw him and said, I told you so. <laughs> I was right. You were wrong. I was right. You were wrong, right? Did God do that? Uh-uh. His father saw him and was filled with, what's the word? Compassion. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Uh, a few things we need to, to denote and, and see in this passage. First of all, older Jewish men, they didn't run. That was a no-go. Um, and so I know we go for runs now, and that's in. No. Uh, that was something that was servants did or people that, not, no. It shows that God could care less what other people think when he wants to love you. He care less what you think. He care less what he looks like. That that love has no consideration of what's going on with me. Love is just about their good, their joy, their benefit. That's what true love is. Toxic love is about me, how I feel, how it's going to work out for me. That's not God's love. God's love is focused on the joy and the benefit of the other person. He ran to him, knowing his son needed a hug. By the way, his son was so poor, do you think his son had a shower and smelled good, looked good? You see, some of you think you got to clean up before you can really get close to God. And that's why you struggle in your walk with God. The problem is that you can't shower yourself enough. The stench of your sin is so bad, you cannot clean yourself up. Only the blood and the love of Jesus will clean your soul, will clean your mind. He's not waiting for you to clean up. He wants to hug you. But Brian, you don't know what I did last week. You don't know what I said. You don't know what I've been hiding. You don't know what sin that I've never told anyone about. I know I don't. I don't need to know. Jesus knows. And he wants to really put his arms around you. Are you seeing the kind of God, the intensity of the love that he has for each 
individual person, even someone that doesn't, what? Deserve it. A beautiful picture. A picture that back then they wouldn't have seen of a father. They would not have seen in this picture. And sometimes maybe we don't have this picture today of God in our lives. Well, he goes on, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I just want you to know that this is exactly the way. If you don't have a relationship with God, it's the only way you can come to him. You don't bargain with him. You don't say, like, I got most of my life together. You owe me a few things, and then I'll follow you. But the way all of us follow Jesus, if anyone calls himself a Christian, is we have to get to a point where we say, I have sinned not against my mom, my dad, my friends, my greatest sin is not against another human being. My greatest sin is against God. And if you don't get that, you'll never get Jesus. I got to be very clear with that. That's the only pathway. When I come to a realization of I am the servant in this, I am the one that has been arrogant. And all of us have different levels of arrogance, but any speck of arrogance, it's a sin against God. And so I really come into a relationship with God, not when he's a benefit to my life, but when he's a savior and an absolute need in my life to do anything good. And so he comes with the right humility, which is what he lacked before. Humility is where we come into a relationship with God. And he said, I'm no longer worthy. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Why was that important? He's not a servant. He's a son. You are a son and daughter of Jesus once you give your life to him. And what breaks my heart is some of us act like we're servants and we beat ourselves up and God doesn't beat us up. We beat ourselves up with how bad we are. And God says, listen, I just want to put a robe on you, put a ring on you. You're a son, you're a daughter. That's how I view you, and that's how I love you, and that's how you got to view yourself. Stop beating yourself up. You know, people say sometimes we're in connection groups, like, well, you know what? You know, I'm just a horrible sinner. Uh, excuse me? You were, but now you got the robe and the ring. You're a son and daughter of God. That's an old label. You're in a new family. You're adopted. And by the way, you want to see a power of adoption? Go down to the Tijuana Christian Mission. The power of adoption. And why is adoption so powerful? Because when you naturally birth the kid, you have to love them. <laughs> Some of you kids are like, that's so mean. Wait till you have kids, all right? All right, you love them, right? Because you realize they're a gift from God. But there's something different when the kid is like, I didn't birth you, but I chose you. I didn't birth you, I chose you. He goes on, he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He is lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Jesus celebrates your life when you give it to him. He's not looking to nitpick. He understands you're messed up. He knows that. He's not surprised. But he loves you anyway. And the quality we don't think about that I want to look at today as we start off Luke, and this is the, really the culmination of Luke, and it's this, is that God is proactive, not reactive in his love for you. God is proactive, not reactive in his love to you. He loves you, and you don't even recognize it right now. He's doing things right now you don't even see. 
And when you begin to understand that, even when you don't see God, you can still appreciate God because you know he's working. You know he's pursuing. The proactiveness of God. It's really, really powerful. Because sometimes some of us feel like, I don't feel God. Have you ever been there? I don't feel, right? I don't sense. But when I know, it's like, wait, but he's always proactively working, loving, pursuing, running towards me, not away from me. Or notice with this father, he was waiting for the son to humble himself. So even when you don't feel God, sometimes God's waiting for you. He needs you to move before he moves. He needs, because, and it needs to be out of humility. So sometimes God will be like, oh, you want space? I don't want space for me, but you want space? All right, in your arrogance, go for it. But when you're humble, I will run towards you. When you repent, I will run towards you. There's no shame and guilt. I put the robe on, I put the ring on, you're a son and daughter. And what we see from God in this proactive love is that love does what is right and good. Love does not do what is easy or desired. It's really important. This love of God, when we sing about it and we think about it, is God does what is right and good for us, not what is easy or what we desire. You see, we get love very mixed up when we think, well, love is all about desire, right? What do I want? And if someone loves me, they should give it to me. That's kind of the, the, the theme in our culture today, right? If you really love someone, you should support them in what? Whatever they want to do or to say. That's insanity. Let's take that to the logical end. You should support me if I want to go kill someone today. Uh, no. Then you don't love me. Yes, that's why I'm telling you no. That's exactly why I'm telling you no. You should support me in this sin. You should support me in this way of thinking. You should support me in any religion I want. No. Because love isn't giving in to your desire. Love is saying what is good and right for you, and that's what I'm going to help pursue and support and encourage you in. Now, I will show grace when you want these other things. I still love you, but it doesn't going to mean I'm going to help you and be proactive in that. And we have to get that about God because sometimes when God doesn't give us the desires of our heart, it's because we have the wrong heart. God wants to give us the desires when we have his heart because that's the right heart. That's why you notice in the story, because you're like, well, if, if the father's love is proactive, why didn't he go after the son? Anyone ever thought that? If, if he ran down the, down the uh, driveway, why didn't he run and go find him? Because it's not good if someone is arrogant to keep supporting them in their arrogance, keep funding their arrogance. God knew, it's like, I need them to be humble because that's when he's gonna truly understand and be a part of this family. But he was waiting, he was ready. We see over and over in Luke is that God moves before we move, is that God is working when we're not working in this. God is loving you even when you are not loving God. I need everybody to hear that. Our love, because we're human beings, I don't know if you noticed this, we have our highs, and then don't you just run on empty? Right? We're easily, we're easily um, empty of our love. I mean, just yesterday, just yesterday, we're there. I'm at the orphanage. I feel this love. I'm like, ah, this is awesome. I love this trip. I love that. And then we got lost in Mexico. Boy, my love was gone. I was making fun of everybody. I was making fun of everything. I was just... Like, within 30 minutes of being on a missions trip, I was like, my love's gone. I'm angry. Everybody get out of my way. I didn't want to love anybody on the road, right? It was all about me getting across that border. 
Oh, aren't we fragile people? God isn't like that, you guys. His love always flows. But here's the thing. It's not his love to support you in your arrogance. It's love that does what is right and good for you. And the beauty of faith is when you can just trust him, even when you don't feel him. That's the story of Luke. None of you are a number. None of us is more important than the other. Oh, Brian, you're on stage and God, you must hear God more. That's a lie from Satan. You hear God just as well as I hear God. You're in the family. You're just as important. He loves you just as much. And we see over and over where Jesus will visit anyone anywhere to bring them to hope, to bring them to prosperity, to bring them into a relationship with him. You know, one of the things I was thinking about last night is why is the orphanage, why is it so successful? successful? It's been around since the 60s. And uh, the team that went yesterday, like all of us, if you've been to other orphanages, this one's just different. It's just run at a different level. The leadership, the environment, even how nice it is. Like I've been to some orphanages. I'm like, this is a ranch act. Like this is, this looks horrible. They keep it clean. They keep it, you know, it's like, but I was like, what makes them so successful? Why do I want to partner with them? Why am I so excited to support Christians like that just across the border? And it's this, because they love kids. They love them initially, thoroughly, and faithfully. They were telling stories about when they get these kids, these kids are usually angry. Because if you've been abandoned by someone, you're usually a pretty angry person. And they don't yell at them. They don't judge them. They don't think like, oh, this kid's going to be a wild one. You know what they do? They just love on these kids. And you know what? In 1 Corinthians 13, where it says love never fails, every one of these kids break. They can't keep angry. They can't keep stubborn because these, these leaders, these parents, these moms and dads down there, they just keep loving them. They just keep showing them grace. They keep pursuing them even when the kid doesn't want them to pursue them in love. And what a hope that is for us because love, what does 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love never what? Yeah, good. I, I was worried there. You guys were like, uh, uh, uh. the Bible, read it. It's awesome. All kinds of good stuff. Love never fails. Why does it never fail? Because the way, if you love the way God loves you and you love others the same way, it will not fail. And not only will you bring them into a relationship, hopefully a good relationship with you, you'll push them into a good relationship with God. But I think one of the success uh, aspects of success for the Tijuana Christian mission is that they love kids before these kids love them, but they also love them thoroughly. They keep loving them. They love them so they get them an education and get them health, and they have a dentist down there, and they tell them about Jesus. They don't just tell them about Jesus and say, good luck. They love them, and they want to see them succeed, and they want to see them get to college, and they want to see them grow and get married. Like They want them thoroughly love them. They're not just a number. Each kid has a name and a story. They love like God does. And just so you know, that's how, as a church, how do we keep missions and reaching people and reaching our neighbors and reaching people at work? How do we keep that when you realize that that person was created by God, is loved by God just as much as God loves you, he loves them. And what real love does is real love does not love someone for where they're at, but where they could be. That's what real love does. If I love this person, maybe they won't be as angry. Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll show a little bit more grace. Maybe they'll change. Love truly changes people. Not everyone will respond to love, but love does not care. It sees value and hope in, in people 
that they do not see in themselves. And that's the proactive love of God. Not everyone may respond to love, but love does not care. Love's not looking for a response. It sees value and hope in people that they do not see in themselves. This father loved this son who did not see the value. He just wanted to be a servant. And God said, no, 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 I'm going to make you more than a servant. I'm going to give you a son and a daughter. And so Luke, we see not only how God loves us, but how we should represent God to other people. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. He said, listen, church, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. What does that mean, I no longer live? It means that I, don't lo- I love now, not how I want to love people, but how God has loved me. So it's no longer my desires, the way I want to love. I'm dead to that. But Christ lives in me. God's love lives in you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. So I give myself up for others. And I don't wait for them to deserve my love. I proactively love them before they ever love me. You guys, this is the theme of Luke. This is a God for all. A God for someone who's been a Christian a long time and a God for someone that doesn't even know who Jesus is or maybe doesn't even like God. Perfect, he's a God for you. Well, how much does God love me? He's gonna pursue you. He's gonna chase you down. And I just wanna give you a little insight. Nobody can outrun God. He doesn't care how smelly you are. He doesn't care, about, he doesn't care what you're hiding. He doesn't even care what you think of him. He wants to wrap his arms around you because he believes that his love will change you. God's love will change you. And hopefully as a church, God's love will change us to not only to make sure that we all in this church, that we've received God's love, we're not playing religion, that we allow God to hug us and love us, but the goal then is that as a church then, we go and love others and we're a church for all, not just a church for some. We're a church for some people that have their theology together and some that we have some kooky theology. Great, welcome to Access. For some of us that, that we're a little more rigid in our rules and some of us are a little loose. Great, we're a church for all. One of high intellect and some of us very low intellect. Some of us high energy, some of us low, some of us healthy, some of us unhealthy. Struggling with different sins. But we're a church for all because we follow a God for all. So this is the story of Luke. This is the goal and this is what we're going to be focusing on the next few months. And this is why the cross makes sense next week. Next week, we're going to be looking at the death of Jesus. And if you understand that God is proactive and that he loves you deeply, passionately, intimately, and he doesn't care what he looks like when he loves you, the cross makes sense then. Because the cross is not something that Jesus desired. He wasn't like, yeah, I can't wait. Bring it on. You guys read the story? He wasn't like, woo when is it? Let's get to this. He was like, oh, this is going to be painful. But love is not driven by personal emotions and desire. Love is driven by what is good and right. And the only way to save us, none of us can conquer death. So Jesus is like, I'll conquer death so that all can live forever. And that's the hope of Jesus. We're going to take time right now, you guys. And I think I've given you a lot to think about. This passage is giving you a lot to think about. We're now going to sing songs that really illustrate this passage. And whether you want to sing with the team you want to just kind of soak it in as they sing. We have communion that, communion that reminds you 
of the depth of the love of Jesus. I just hope as you leave today, please don't ever doubt God's intense love for you because that changes your life. No matter what you're going through, to know that God pursues you and loves you, that changes your life. You can get through anything knowing that God is with you and for you and loves you. But he loves you in a healthy way, not an unhealthy way. What is good and what is right for you, that's what he's choosing to do. So the cross illustrates that. So the communion, you can take that during worship by yourself. If you want to pray with people, however you want to do communion, we let you do it. And so I want to encourage you to just sing, take communion. The worship is going to come up and I'm going to pray. And then let's just kind of go into a time of listening, allowing God to speak directly to us today. Jesus, Jesus, thank you for not only coming to ultimately die on the cross and rise again so that we can have hope in this life. Um, but thank you for really revealing who you are because if we get God right, we'll get life right. If we get you right, God, then we'll get relationships right. If we get you right, then not only do we get this life right, but we get life forever. And just how freeing that is. Like everyone's just fretting and stressing over being healthy and living on this earth forever, but we got the ticket already. If we have a relationship with you, eternity is already our destiny. And so we can just enjoy the ride. I pray for every person here, Jesus, that they would know you as a father who loves them, not as a hired hand. And I pray that all of us can receive your embrace, that we wouldn't reject your embrace, God, but we receive the love that you have for us. We worship you now. We recognize you. And we honor you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.